That's going in, got input, got you on output. Okay, right, cool. I'll just introduce you, okay? Okay. Okay then, and welcome back then to Fast Ship Performance. I'm Tim Davies, and today we've got an interesting podcast for you because we're talking about historic and legacy aircraft that were trying to be regenerated and to, to bring back flying in the UK sky. So with me then, I've got a trustee from uh, the Hawker Typhoon Preservation Group. Uh, his name is Sam Worthington-Lees. Sam, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, mate? Hi, Tim. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, um, my name's Sam. Um, I'm a trustee for the Hawker Typhoon Preservation Group, as you've said. Um, we're looking to rebuild a Hawker Typhoon. Uh, there are none flying in the world, and uh, we're looking to do that within the next five years. Um, I'm an airline pilot by day. Uh, I fly vintage aircraft in my spare time, and I spent a very short time in the Air Force. Yeah, you did, didn't you? Now, I, I think we were probably at Valley at the same time when I was on 28 Squadron. What time did you leave the Air Force? This was under one of the SDSRs, wasn't it? It was. The 2010 uh, SDSR, I left in 2012. Right. Uh, um, never got as far as Valley. I was on the Grob. Um, got one trip on the Tucano, and uh, and that was my lot. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think there's about 170 of you, wasn't there, that left at the time. I know some of my students right. uh, left. Yeah. I, was, I was on... 28 squadron on the Hawk T1 at 2007 I think it was for about four years so I remember them going from from there most of them end up in yeah. the Middle East I think they end up with um uh some Cath- airline out there yeah they went it was uh, Cathay it was Cathay wasn't it yeah 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 <laughs> with exceptionally expensive rents and things like that to really expensive cities in Hong Kong Right. Okay, then. So look, um, I've done a bit of research into this because I'm quite interested in it, as you know. And also, because I'm the strategy director for Aerolist, we're also building an aircraft, except ours, I think, is going to cost a bit more money, to be honest. Yeah. Um, so I was looking at the figures that you, you've you looked uh, so far to date uh, that you've raised and the figures that you're looking to raise. Do you want to just go through that a little bit? So show people, just tell people really, you know, how far along is this project so they can get a bit of an idea? Yeah. So it's been about 20 years in research. Um, but the first effectively 15 years of that was one chap on his own called Dave Robinson researching the typhoon where various parts survived and, and if anything was left really. Um, about five years ago, his path of mine, you know, we, we crossed paths. I was researching my grandfather and uh, we effectively came up with the idea together of rebuilding the typhoon. Um, he, he'd got a lot of parts. And uh, he said the only thing that was stopping him was money. So I said, well, let's raise the money then. Uh, and the idea was born effectively. Um, the charity as it is now was uh, formed in 2016 in May. Uh, we then had a public launch in October of that year. Um, and since that date, we've raised about, well, it's just in excess of 350000 at the moment. And that's been spent on setting up charity, yeah, insurance, establishing a base developing merchandise that that kind of day-to-day running and now we've reached the stage where we're looking to start cutting metal and actually building the airplane uh we've got a crowdfunder going at the moment and uh, that's looking to raise the first first chunk of money for that that's that's a significant amount of cash to raise or something like this it's not easy raising money especially now with brexit and things like that It's, it's most definitely not easy so i mean it is that is impressive so um You've got bits of the jet. I always call it a jet. Sorry, my fault. You've got bits of the aircraft already. Yeah. Um, so you're, it's a it's a one B, isn't it? It's a it's a Typhoon one B. Yeah. That's right. Um, 
to get the geek on for a moment, yep. there's a 1A and a 1B. The only thing that separates an A from a B was the armament. The A had 12 303 machine guns, which is what Spitfires and Hurricanes had during Battle of Britain, except yep. they had eight. The Typhoon 1A had 12, uh, and the 1B had four 20mm cannon. That's the only difference. You see car door canopies, sliding canopies, larger tailplanes, three, four blade props, various little twinkets here and there, but the only difference between an A and a B is the armament. So they could have a bubble canopy on the A variant as well, could it? They could have, except the A didn't really carry on to start with. They realised once they got them flying, the four cannons was the way to go. They carried on with the 1B and just made changes to that over time, but it stayed as the 1B. It never turned into the CD or the 2, if you like. No, it never did, didn't it? And what, well, they were going to, of course, weren't they? And what they actually did in the end was they redesignated the name, didn't they, to Tempest? To make, it, yeah, to make it more of a, a fighter as opposed to what was perfectly acceptable as a, a ground attack aircraft, wasn't it? I mean, it was a fighter yeah. initially, wasn't it? The, the Typhoon was designed as a fighter. Mm. It's designed as a replacement, actually, for the Spitfire and the Hurricane um, to, mm. to effectively combine the two. It didn't actually prove very good in that role at high altitude, a mixture of, I believe, the supercharger for the engine and the wing. The Typhoon had a really thick wing. Yeah. Didn't perform, high, uh, didn't perform well at high altitude. So... Even just once the test, you know, the prototype was flying and the Typhoon was early in service, they were looking to redesign the wing. That coupled with failures of the tail, yes, right. which was a red, so they redesigned the tail. They, they found out that was um, flutter and yep. they fixed that. They effectively, because they'd redesigned the wing so much and the Typhoon had a sort of a lack of pilot confidence at the time mm -hmm. because of the tail problems, they decided to call it the Tempest instead. And then there was a Tempest 2 and a Tempest 5. Tempest 5 is effectively a Typhoon with different wings. If yeah. So basically what they've done, what Donald Trump said that Boeing should do with the 737 MAX, they've re they rebranded, basically. Yeah, yeah, you could say that, yeah. <laughs> rebranded it. <laughs> the Tempest went on to be very successful, but the MAX, well. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I, yeah exactly. Well, maybe you should introduce software without telling pilots, I guess. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah. that's excellent. So uh, one of the things that I was quite um, surprised about that I didn't actually know was the, the amount of fatalities that um, were, well, pilot fatalities in flying this aircraft. It was over half, wasn't it, of everyone that flew it? it was, yeah, 56% um, is, is the number uh, of pilots that flew the Typhoon were killed flying it, whether that was accident, structural failure, enemy action, or unknown. Uh, yeah, 666, 56%. And it's quite a big number. It is, and it, it's amazing that there's, there's no there's no memorial, I don't think, to this airplane anywhere, is there, or all those pilots themselves? There's not, certainly not in the UK. There's one memorial in France, in Normandy, uh, that was set up by a, a, a trust called the Typhoon Entente Cordial uh, Trust, I think, I believe. Um, it, it's, it's a memorial to the Typhoon crews lost in the Battle of Normandy, mm. um, but there's no mm. memorial out there to the crews um you know that were ultimately killed flying the aircraft and a lot were injured as well you know those often don't get included in that 666 figure ground yeah. attack certainly in those days um was incredibly dangerous german light flak was was really accurate i was um, i was reading i made some notes on this earlier actually knowing that i was going to speak to you so earlier in the week i made some notes mm -hmm. on this um it was it was exceptionally effective wasn't it at normandy i'm just reading through my notes here uh, I think yeah. they had, it says the RAF had 26 operational squadrons of Typhoon 1Bs by D-Day, by, by June 1944. Yeah. Um, and it was very instrumental in taking out 
uh, hard armor and preventing uh, sort of regrouping and reattacks, wasn't it, by actually targeting that? Yeah, there's there's some uh, German generals that have actually attributed the fact that effectively the Allies were able to break out of Normandy eventually mm. to the typhoon uh, and the fact that any time they were flying, the German army, the heavy armor or even you know just the infantry would, would just take cover. They just wouldn't move. And so in daylight hours, the typhoon effectively had total superiority over the battleground and, and they really pioneered close air support as it is now. You know, you would have a forward air controller, which was a, an air force or air minded guy with the troops right on the front line. They would identify a target, call it in on a, a gridded chart. Pilots, uh, the typhoons would be waiting overhead and you've probably heard of the taxi rank system where they're yeah. just waiting, lo- loitering and then they call in a target. First two go down, the target's lit up with smoke and in they go and they were very, very accurate. There was, of course, occasional friendly fire, but that's because they were taking out targets that were... 100 yards, 200 yards in front of their own troops. Yeah. yeah incredibly difficult. Uh, just looking at a, a dead reckoned rocket, you know, you just, just get, it's not aimed in any way other than by the, the pilot's feel. Exceptional really. skill. Was it really was, yeah. Bit of luck. When you read, amazing. Well, it's interesting because um, obviously you had the 12 guns on board, but they put the bombs on later, didn't they? They started off with two 500-pounders and then they put a 1,000-pounder, I think, didn't they, at some point? And then, of course, it really came into its own when they put the rockets on the wing. Uh, and that was yeah. what made it so capable, wasn't it, at the end? Um, you, had not- a mixture of, um, you had a mixture of what they called bomb-thoons, which were typhoons with bombs, yeah. and then rock-thoons with rockets. They, they experimented at the start with having a squadron that could do both, where they would change the fitment. Then they decided to split and specialise, and you would either have bombs or rockets. Um, yeah, two bombs. It started off two two fifty pounders, then it went to five hundreds, then two one thousand pounders, uh, which I actually read was more of a bomb load than a B seventeen could take if it had to go all the way into deep Germany because of the fuel. Seriously? So you think about that, and the, the guys are flying; they're diving at 500, 550 miles an hour, starting to experience compressibility, and then lobbing 2,000-pound bombs on there. And then the, then the tail falls off, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. At that point, yeah. throw the bombs off, tail falls off as well. I mean, that was an issue, wasn't it? Because um, there was, uh, I've read, read a story about, uh, I think it was three typhoons dived down on some Focke-Wulf 190s, and um, uh, they managed to shoot those three aircraft down, or they managed to shoot the Focke-Wulf 190s down, but only two of those, only one of those typhoons actually recovered from the dive because of the yeah. tail separation actually early on in the war. So... I think, um, yeah, it's, it's far from ideal, isn't it? Right, so you've got yourself an engine. I had to look up this engine. I wasn't clued up on the Napier Sabre, to be honest with you. I hate to say it. So it had problems initially when it came in, isn't it? Um, I'm assuming you're going to make sure yours doesn't. It did, yes. Um, so we've got a Napier Sabre 2A, which is the exact type that would have been fitted to a Typhoon. Um, it had problems um, with the sleeve, the manufacturer, and the coating of the sleeve itself. It's a sleeve valve engine. Um People say complex. It, it is complex. It's different from your normal kind of V12 you find in the Merlin. Um, it's an H arrangement to, uh, to, if you like, a two Porsche Boxster yeah. engines on yeah. top of each other. Um, but it had issues with the sleeves, really. Um, Bristol, at the time, were leading the way with sleeve valve design and manufacture. And the Air Ministry ended up telling Bristol to get involved. You know, there was no choice in the matter. They needed to get involved. Um, to help Napier develop this engine. And then when they did, it effectively got rid of the problems. Um, and the Sabre went on to become a very reliable engine. Right. 
Um, more so, actually, in terms of time to overhaul uh, later in the war than uh, Merlins and Griffins. But because it had a bad reputation to start with, it, it's kind of clung on to that. Yeah. Um, you got this from Cranfield, Cranfield University, didn't you? That's right. What, what, are, they, what are they doing with that engine there? I mean, it's, they, they're using it as part of a, a course or something, were they? Yeah, so it went to them uh, at the end of the war. Um, and uh, they used it for trainee engineers, you know, to strip down, take bits, put back together again. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after a while, uh, it, it got sealed, um, inhibited and sealed, and, and there it stayed. It got loaned to a few other establishments over the years, um, and they effectively forgot they had it. Um, and we, yeah. we tracked it down in another establishment and then uh, sourced the correct owner, which turned out to be Cranfield, went to Cranfield, you know, uh, told them about the project. They really bought into it and could see that the engine was key. Without an engine, yeah, I could put a Griffin in, it, in the aircraft, but it wouldn't be a Typhoon. Then it would be a, a replica with a Griffin, and there's almost no point. So they saw the value of the engine. Uh, they had no real use for it, so uh, they gifted it over to us at the start yeah. of 2015. It's effectively priceless, really. Yeah, um, there's a handful in the world, probably less than you could count on your on your fingers. That actually survive in in sort of complete, you know, state. Yeah, they're a good bunch of people, um, Crownford. Actually, they're really useful. I, I work with them as well at the moment, and they've got some good knowledge up there. You know, some superb knowledge. Um, so, <clears throat> looking at this, then, so obviously you're looking to, as I said, cut metal pretty soon. That's right. How do you decide what you do first? You've got a large part of the aircraft already. You've got the fuselage area. Is that right? Yeah. So the rear the rear fuselage uh, from uh, effectively behind the pilot seat to just in front of the transport joint on the tail. So that entire rear fuselage section we have, and that is from the aircraft that we're rebuilding, if you like. That's from RB396. That entire section survives. Um, and that is actually one of the easiest parts to rebuild, A, because we have it, B, we have a lot of drawings, uh, and C, because it's just kind of, for us anyway, it's the iconic section that is the, the identity of the project. So to start with that just, just seems right, really. Yeah. Uh, the expertise is in place for the guys that can rebuild it. It's very similar in design to a Spitfire rear fuselage, uh, monocoque design, and uh, airframe assemblies on the Isle of Wight. You know, that's their bread and butter. So they're really looking forward to having it in. We're really looking forward to to getting it built, and that'll be the first first airworthy section. So that will go to the Isle of Wight. Now, is that the whole aircraft will be built on the Isle of Wight? Is that the idea? No, not necessarily. So Typhoons um, back in the day were were built. You know, they, they were built in individual sections, and then those sections brought together and, and put together, yeah. if you like, mm. um, all, all over the country, and then they were brought centralised, put together. Uh, we're effectively going to do the same thing. Um, the, the putting together for us is likely to take place at the Aircraft Restoration Company at Duxford. Um, the rear fuselage, probably the wings, possibly the tail, will go to the Isle of Wight. Um, the engine will go to someone else. The tubular frame, which makes up the sort of centre section, the cockpit area, will go somewhere else. Um, tailplanes, we're looking to go somewhere else. Undercarriage, we're talking with a company uh, that has a past connection with Typhoon Undercarriage uh, to overhaul those. The prop you know, will go to somewhere else. And it'll all come together at the end, be fitted out, cables will be run, painted, test run, test flown uh, at Duxford. Now, you're on a timeline because you want to get it ready for the 80th anniversary of D-Day, I think, 2024. That's right. Uh, it's quite a tight timeline, quite tight. Um, that's five years. Obviously, this year is D-Day 75, so we've got five years. Um, uh, and that is achievable if we can get the money flowing. Uh, and that is the only thing, really, 
that may prevent us making that timeline is is cash flow. Yeah. Um, so down to us, really. The, the reason we set up the charity all those years ago uh, was not to do the work ourselves. You know, it wasn't to design a load of snazzy-looking merchandise, if I do say so myself. And that it was purely to raise the money to oversee and, and get the aircraft rebuilt. That's our primary function. So obviously my podcast is more popular than Jay Rogan's because it's definitely up there. So if <laughs> we all know this with my, my seven listeners, if um, someone was listening out there then, because a lot of aviation enthusiasts obviously do, do listen to this, this, this sort of thing. Uh, they understand there's a timeline going on. Um, how can you convince them that this is something that is, uh, is viable within those five years? Now you talked about the drawings you have, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you, you've got like, am I right in thinking you've got all, you're missing some, aren't you? you've got like 98% or something of drawings for this airplane? Yeah, in terms of a percentage, I think it's hard probably to put a figure on. We've got two and a half thousand drawings, um, which effectively, if you think of the aircraft in plan form, from nose to tail, we're complete on that centre section with drawings or parts or both. Yeah. Uh, in the wing section, we've got a number of large parts, spar, flat, undercarriage fitments, and e even some skins in a gun bay area. Um, but we're, we're missing a whole wing, if you like, um, and we've got some wing drawings. So the wing is just the area we're really looking to pin down extra detail. But nose to tail, which is two or three years' work in itself, we're, we're complete. We're, we're ready to go. We're just looking to put that money in to get that centre section built. And then we're, we're working on a plan. You know, We spoke about this the other day, a plan for wings, yeah. um, which we don't foresee being a problem. Once we make the progress on the centre section, there is an existing typhoon, isn't there, in a museum? Where, where is that? That's Hendon, isn't it? Hendon. That's correct. That's the RF Museum at Hendon. Yeah, MN two three five. Okay. Um, it, it was it went over to the states on on the lend lease. I think uh, they flew about seven hours on it during the war, and then pranged it, put it to the side, forgot about it, uh, and then it ended up in storage in the Smithsonian. And then it was discovered again by the Brits in the uh, in the early sixties. I think we swapped a hurricane for it. And it came back, I think, in the late 60s. It had various panels rebuilt. It suffered a, a fair bit of damage in the Prang, but, you know, still mm. complete as a typhoon. Uh, and it was repaired by apprentices and, and you know, new panels fabricated. Um, a Ford truck radiator put in in place of its real one and, and various bits like that. Now it's on uh, on display back at the RF Museum. It was in Canada for the last four years. Um, so when it comes to when it comes to looking at this wing, what would, mm. what would you do? Would you take like a laser scan of that wing or something to rebuild or get drawings of it, or or how do you how do you manufacture a wing without those existing drawings? Yeah, there's two ways. We can, uh, provided we can get the access, mm. uh, we can scan it as you just said. We can scan inside and out, yeah. and that will give us all of the detail we need. And an external scan wouldn't give us much unless we were just going to create a mold. Yeah. you know, for a that would be fine. But for a flying aircraft, nothing. But the inspection panels, we can get in there and, and 3D scan internally. That would be one option. The other option is to take that wing to pieces. Then you've got all the patterns you need, refurbish those parts, mm. put them back together, and then you effectively would have an airworthy wing to go back to the RF museum or, or two wings. Uh, and then we have all the engineering detail we need then to, to build our wings. So two ways, and probably a combination of the both, to be honest. So is it sort of the thing that you're looking at trying to get? If you could obtain that particular aircraft as you build yours, you could recondition that? Because these aircraft degrade over time, don't they? So They could, do, yeah. You could recondition that one at the same time as you're building your aircraft and then hand Hendon back like a much better aeroplane that's going to last them much longer in their museum. 
Absolutely. Um, and, and that aircraft, MN-235, looks great. Um, but you get up close and you can see that it's not really had any major work for 40 years. And it's been taken to pieces and put back together again when it went to Canada uh, and came back again. And then it ended up at Coningsby for a little bit with uh, British Aerospace to do a shoot with the, the modern Typhoon. And then taken to bits again and back to Hendon. So, you know, we we would love to to be in a position where we can take those wings, refurbish them up to an airworthy standard and obviously pay for that. And in the meantime, in the, in that, in the course of that process, get all of the engineering detail we need uh, to rebuild our wings. It's like when you get up close it's to the... Win, you know. Oh, go on. It's a win. I was just saying it's, it's, it's a win-win there. You know, the RF Museum gets it. It's a brand new set of wings. Um, and as do we. Yeah, it's like when you get up close to the, the Red Arrows Hawks at the moment. Um, they've been flying for an exceptionally long time. And of course, they are you know, a bit ropey because they've just been there for so long. You know, I mean, yeah. out of distance, they look fine, isn't it? So, yeah, they haven't had much sun to them for, for a long time. Um, I've written down here, though, on, on something that we you sent before I was going to have a look at. Um, you talk about corporate sponsorship, um, increased supporters club, all those kind of things. You're trying to get membership in air show attendances, film work, merchandise, merchandise sales. There's if if, if there are people investing in this project, um, so a guy comes along, and he says, "Well, I want to give you a hundred thousand pounds, whatever." To I really want to see this aircraft fly, um, and I really want to be part of this journey because you're selling a journey now, aren't you? It's a it's yeah. a huge story yeah. that you. What what do you how how are you working out your your tiers of sponsorship or how are you doing that? So at the moment, um, the, the crowdfunder that we're running for the rear fuselage, we've got various tiers in there, and they're, they're all relatively small. They're, they're quite a lot of money, but they're kind of your £174, which is the squadron, 396 which is the, the serial number, and so on. Um, for larger um, donations or donors looking to come in, we don't have a finalised tier at yep. the moment and mm. we're, we're treating those on a, a one-on-one if somebody approaches us with a substantial amount of money like you've just mentioned there we would just look to engage in conversation with that person yeah. to see what they would like in return if anything we've had a, a few large donors um you know in, in your tens, tens of thousands mm. uh, up towards the 50 mark and the individual doesn't want anything in return he wants to remain completely out of the picture he doesn't want anyone to know that he's put that money in which is which is absolutely fine but if someone was willing to come in with a, a large sum, we'd just like to sit down and, and talk to them about what they would like in return, if anything. The yeah. one thing we're clear on is that we formed the charity to make sure that this aircraft couldn't be effectively a rich man's toy. Okay. It could never be owned by one person and, and only come out when they want it. So it's going to remain charity owned. So we've, we've effectively shied away from shares or anything like that in the aircraft because we want it to be... And we think it's right that it's purely for the benefit of a sort of educating the public, but b acting as a living memorial to those crews going back to those 666 guys killed. It's for them. It's not for someone necessarily to own. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So I was reading down about that. I was looking at the, um, the amount of members you've got at the moment in your supporters mm. club. What's that about? I'm trying to. You're targeting about 10,000 members at the moment, aren't you? Is that right? Yeah, so at the moment we, we launched that supporters club in uh, October of 2016. It's either on an annual basis um, or for life. You know, people can join up for life. Uh, we've got about 800, 900 active members at the moment. Okay. Um, and we'll continue to grow that um, year on year. And it is doing that um, so that by the time the aircraft's flying, we're looking for, say, seven to 10,000 members would be ideal mm-hmm. because those yearly subscriptions 
would would take care of almost all the day-to-day running costs of the charity and allow the aircraft to fly a set number of hours per year. Yeah. And then any extra income that we can gain from, say, some corporate sponsors coming in, any TV or film work, any extra air shows, that kind of thing, will, will be a bonus on, on top of that. Yeah, okay. That's excellent. That's, that's um, exactly what I was after. And then, so if we go back to your own story about you know how you're involved in it, um, yeah. your grandfather was a typhoon guy, wasn't he, back in... World War That's II. right. Yeah. yeah, Second World War. Um, he flew the Hurricane first off uh, in North Africa. Uh, he got shot down there, bailed out, broke his back, uh, got repatri- uh, repatriated. Um, then he joined 184 Squadron. This was in sort of late 43, early 44. They were on Hurricanes at the time. Uh, and then they converted to the Typhoon about, from what I can work out, about eight weeks before he got shot down. And that was on the 21st of May. 1944. So they were in that lead up to D-Day, sort of softening up that North France coast. Um, and he got shot down there, force landed in Holland, um, became a prisoner of war, Stalagluf III, which of course was great escape. So he turned up about two months after that had happened. Um, he actually wrote a book and he's got little sketches in there about sort of it being in memorial to the great escape guys that were rounded up and killed and the, the little sketch of the tunnels. And, you know, it's great. Um, maybe get that published one day, but that's a side story. Um, and then, yeah, he finished the war, uh, you know, got set free. I think by, uh, he was on the force march and I think he got liberated by the Americans, um, came home, never flew again, went off to become a primary school teacher, children with special needs. Yeah. Um, but where he force landed his aircraft on the 21st of May, 1944, a lot of it remained for some time. Um, and the local farmer, collected any parts that he could from that aircraft relatively intact uh, and stored them in his barn and uh, and then a collector you know i was researching my grandfather's history when i'd left the air force so that was in 2013-14 i was starting to look into it a little bit more and uh, discovered the collector that had been to this farmer's barn and had got hold of all those parts from the aircraft that my grandfather was flying on that day and uh, so i tried contacting him uh, didn't hear anything back for a long time, but I heard from this chap called Dave, who then told me about this typhoon he was hoping to rebuild, and and we've been speaking ever since. And then the collector got back to me, and uh, he said, I'm really sorry, I've just sold all the parts to Kermit Weeks, but I haven't sent them yet. If you want some small cockpit parts that Kermit's not interested in, uh, then I can send them over to you. And he did. <laughs> so I've got parts of my grandfather's aircraft. Um, that he was flying on his last trip, which was out of RAF West Hampton, which is now Goodwood, right. which is where I've been flying for the last three years. And we're hoping to uh, incorporate those parts in the aircraft because they're non-airworthy. With, they're just things like a cockpit light, yeah. baker light, yeah. fuse box, that kind of thing that can just be displayed in the aircraft. I mean, that is, that's crazy when you think about it. So because it's almost full circle, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was about to talk about your history. Because obviously, you, you fly a lot of these old, um, these older aircraft anyway, don't you? And you've, you've flown down at um, Ultimate High d- down south, and uh, you know, obviously, I know, uh, I know the company well. So I know Mark Greenfield. So um, you, you, you actually end up probably flying this aeroplane is the idea, I guess. Yeah, the, the rest of the guys in the charity, the other trustees, and the other team members, uh, you know, the volunteers that have a, have a big role in it. They would quite like me to fly it uh, yeah. because of my connection with it and the fact that Dave and I formed this charity together. We were the ones that got it going. Uh, and, you know, because of my grandfather, I've got these parts. And because I've been involved in it 
from day one. You know, I know firsthand how much work's gone into the aircraft, so the likelihood is that I'll sort of take care of it. So it's kind of of crazy that when you think about it. So you could be literally flying in this aeroplane that your grandfather was shot down in back in 1940-something, and you're looking and using the same lights that, or whatever it might be, bits of cockpit material that he was actually looking at when he, I mean, that to me is just crazy how it comes around, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The, the ideal and, and, and the real full circle is we can incorporate those parts into the aircraft um, and and one day in the future we can fly an anniversary flight in RB396, which is not his aircraft, but these parts yeah. from his aircraft, um, yeah. from Goodwood, which is perfectly capable because there are Spitfires based there at the moment, so yeah. the length is there, you know, the infrastructure is there. We can fly an anniversary flight on the 21st of May with those parts, with me flying it, possibly even in you know his his colour scheme that it would have worn on that day, mm-hmm. in, whether that's a temporary or permanent scheme, that will that will be you know full circle. That would be quite something. You know. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's that's just crazy. That, that that like that never happens. You know what I mean? You never hear that um, sort of stuff, do you? So all of a sudden, there you are flying that out with bits of his aircraft in the, in the airplane in the same colors, probably, you know, it's just, to me, that's incredible. And that's a real kind of inspirational story. You know, that's, that's yeah. the kind of thing that gets people invested in the project, because as I said, before we sort of went live here, you know, it's the story that people are interested yeah. in. It's the background, it's the whole story of the build. It's, it all culminates in you, in you doing something like that. I mean, that to me is uh, amazing. So, now it was a guy, was it Dave Robinson was the initial guy that was um, initially investigating or doing the research 20 years ago. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Okay, so then you've got a cost for building this thing, which isn't the cheapest thing in the world, is it? No. Um, do people know that cost? You mentioned that already, do we? Yeah, I, I don't know that we specifically mentioned it today. Um, it, it's there on our website if okay. anyone wants to look, but um, it's it's estimated around about £5 million. Pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that's mm-hmm. been costed out, and it's seen as fairly accurate, bearing any, you know, barring any major, major issues. Um, which we've we've effectively accounted for anyway um, in, in the costings. You know, we've we've added quite a large contingency in there. So some things already we've we've saved money on. Um, we managed to purchase a large amount of Tempest parts at the end of last year. Tempest five parts and Tempest two parts. On the agreement that we purchase those parts, and some of them will be useful for us to take patterns from, but that we can use the jigs. That are being used for a Tempest 2 rebuild at the moment. And the fuselage and the tail and the cockpit sections are almost identical. Well, the fuselage and the tail are, the cockpit section almost identical. So we now have access to those jigs if we because we bought those Tempest parts. If we were to have to fund the building of our own jigs, yeah. it would cost us around about 100, 150000 pounds more than we've spent on purchasing those Tempest parts. So we're looking at various cost-saving methods like that along the way as well, and you know, and that's just one that we've managed to do so far. Now, this is—I'm assuming this is Kermit Weeks that's building that Tempest, is it? I uh, know different Tempest actually. Tempest oh. two in the UK. Um, location and owner are sort of secret, okay. so unfortunately can't say. But we're on very good terms with uh, with them uh, and the company that's carrying out their work as well. Um, so that's looking actually to be airborne in the next year or two i would i would hope okay uh, really exciting project so the tempest 2 is our bristol centurus engine you know radial sleeve valve rather than the the more inline saber um but a lovely aircraft all the same 
but yeah. a lot of compatibility yeah. with the typhoon. It was the development of the typhoon. Yeah, I find it, I find it fascinating, really, and um, it's because basically, as you said, you know, they need to rename a typhoon, rename, rename the typhoon into the Tempest, didn't they? But the whole story of those two aircraft and how it comes across is is so impressive. So you've got jigs. So what you're actually doing then is you're you're saying how can we uh, make this project most cost effective that we can use yep. the money for? So yeah, no, I completely get that. It's brilliant. So let's have a look. It's going to f- go through the last of these points here, really. So. Uh, let's have a look. What's the last thing? So where, so where would you like to be then in a year's time? That's that was what I was thinking about. Is what's your goal? I mean, how do you split it up, and how do you manage this project? So, who's doing that? So the the core team of trustees and a number of volunteers um, are working on that. You know, we are yeah. just we're effectively all working on that. Um, we have some subdivided roles with a bit more specific. We have a chap that takes care of our social media now one that takes care of the shop, one that runs the logistics for the air shows, that kind of thing, the day-to-day running. Um, but the trustees generally are getting involved with the planning of the project. And in one year from now, if we can be well on the way to having the fuselage complete, we'll be very happy. Um, the timeline for the rear fuselage itself depends completely on the cash flow, but it could mm-hmm. be as little as 12 months. So if we can send it off to the Isle of Wight and we can flow, and it works out at £20,000 a month, over there um that'll be just a little more than we need to get it done in one year okay so okay so you got the website uh, you got a website at the moment yeah. that people people are going to you got a facebook page yeah um, facebook Twitter, instagram if you just if basically if you google hawker typhoon we come up about number two or three after wikipedia okay um our, our website dead easy to remember is hawkertyphoon.com and so, as you, as this bill progresses, how do you engage with the people that are investing in this? I mean, are you, obviously, you've got all this social media that you're talking about now. Um, mm. do you, are you ever going to point a camera at the bits and pieces and then start talking about the bill process and everything? Absolutely. Um, so, Airframe Assemblies already are going to be supplying us weekly, bi-weekly with photos of the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as often as we can get down there, we're going to be going down to film the work that they've been doing. And then we'll do effectively like we're doing now. We're, we're going to have regular podcasts, uh, little video diaries, um, that sort of thing that, that generally the in-depth stuff will go out to those that have either joined the supporters club or, you know, pledged in terms of money and or time to, to get this work happening. And then with your kind of more shallow stuff out on the social media, really to try to get people in, mm. almost that hook to, to get people interested to say, you know, this is what we're doing. We need your help. Ultimately, the bottom line is it all does come down to money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you contribute, you can really be involved uh, in, in, in what's going on. Our top pledge on the current crowdfunder, you know, the target is £50,000, which mm-hmm. forms it's about one quarter of the 200, just over £200,000 budget for the rear fuselage. The top pledge on there is 50000 And if someone was willing to make that pledge, then they will be the first person to see that. They'll be invited on regular um, visits over there to see the work going on. And when the fuselage is complete, they will be the first person, bar none, to go and see it and effectively unveil it. Um, and we'll do the same throughout all the other you know, sub-component systems um, as and when they, they come up. It's so impressive, isn't it? I mean, so with the, I mean, with the RAF, I suppose, the RAF, have you, are they aware that this is happening at all? Is there any support coming yeah. out of the service? Uh, we've got some nice links with the BBMF. Um, Millie, who's just left, uh, he was he was really keen. 
we went up to their um, LLA Open Day at the end of last year when they actually had the typhoon in the hangar, the Hawker typhoon, that is. Um, that was really good. Um, they often have typhoon veterans there. So our, our main in with the RAF is the BBMF. Um, a lot of people get excited at the prospect of the BBMF actually owning and then operating this typhoon when it's flying. Um, never say never, but it will certainly work closely with them. Uh, nothing excites some people more than a thought of a modern typhoon with the original typhoon, if you like, flying a, a sort of pairs, synchro pair sequence like the guys did not too long ago with the Spitfire yeah. and, the, and the day typhoon, you know. If we can get the two typhoons together, that would be that would be great. So, I mean, I was thinking, I mean, do you ever go down the RAF club or anything like that? I mean, is there, are there, do you ever give presentations down there, things to get people interested? We haven't yet, um, okay. but we've actually got a theme um, starting. Well, I, I got asked to do a few presentations at, at various aviation societies and Royal Aero Club places um, last year, back end of last year, which I did. I've obviously now gone off and got a full-time job. Um, and I've got another guy in the team working on giving presentations. They've been largely smaller scale at the moment, but you kind of Royal Aeronautical Society places, local aero clubs, that kind of thing. Um, but we have got presentations in place that if we can get the contacts and get the invite, then uh, yeah. then we'll, we'll be down there. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm, I'm in there quite a bit, actually. And um, I sort of know quite a few senior people within the service, so I can sort of nudge that a little bit <laughs> for you. And of course, with Aerolis, Aerolis is... Uh, is doing very similar to you. You know, we're out there briefing people, generating um, generating interest, and obviously generating uh, significant investment, of course, to push Aerolist forward. So yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll do whatever I can there to try and you know, lean those contacts onto you as well, so we can really sort of push this forward. I think it's a great idea, and I think what the work you've done at the moment is the key, isn't it? It's, it's really it's such a credible thing um, to actually have to actually have going on, and your connections with it. I think is what that's what's going to resonate with a lot of people is the fact that you know you're involved in it yourself, and it. You, you actually, you know, your, your grandfather flew on these things. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and the reason that um, that I'm doing this and that Dave uh, started doing it and, and all of our volunteers are doing it is it's not necessarily because we are the best people for the job. It's purely because no one else is doing it. So we've we've said, you know what, this needs to be done. So we're going to do it. And yeah we've spent the last couple of years learning as we go and it, it really is just down to effectively hard work from everyone involved that's got us to the stage where we're at none of us have particularly high flying contacts you know with, with with lots of money or big connections and we've just been steadily working on on those as hard as we can over the last couple of years dave knows i think almost without question where almost every typhoon part that survives in the world is um just as purely just through years and years and years of dedicated research and just just kind of hard work day in day out almost every spare minute away from work it's just taken up with this just trying to push it forward um it's so interesting isn't it because um doing it, yeah. yeah it's just it's amazing how it it just takes money doesn't it it's it's such it's one of those things you think, oh, I'll do it out of the goodness of my heart, but you just cannot. You cannot do that. It just you need you need the finance to to get the expertise in to start really building these things and, and getting these things moving yeah. forward. It's just it's uh, it's a real bind. But hopefully, you know. So the next step then for people, obviously, they go to your website, which you which you've said, hawktyphoon yeah. com, was it or something? Like that? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Easy to remember. Um, you've got a Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. Um, if yeah. they follow you on all those things, they can see how the, how it progresses. How do they? If they were going to fund you, say they were like. 
you know, Sam, Tim, you guys are awesome. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. Uh, I'm going to rush out there and I'm going to drop some big money and make it rain all over this typhoon with dollar bills. Where do they go to do that? Where's the fund? Where's the crowdfunding site? So the, the crowdfunding page, which is set up to target the rear fuselage, is crowdfunder.co.uk, excuse me, slash RB396. Okay. Or you can find it. It's on the front page of our website for the duration of the campaign. It's okay. the third thing you see on there. Yeah, so, okay. Boom.com is a good place to go if you can't remember anything else. But if, if somebody is looking to even sponsor on a long term, you know, a regular amount monthly or yearly, um, then then just contact us. Uh, there's a contact form on the website that goes to myself, Dave uh, and Matt, the social media chat. We receive all of those emails um, or, or even my email is just Sam at HawkerTyphoon.com. That's brilliant. Brilliant. OK, yeah. that's excellent. So, um yeah, I expect that's what people are going to go and do, isn't it? It's going to have a look and hunt around. If you send me a link, post this, by the way, just so everyone I knows. Um, I will take all those links that you've got for all your social media stuff, and I'll put them straight into the the podcast um, uh, edit bit, and I'll put them all on the on YouTube as well. So people literally, as they're watching this video, can scroll down, can go, oh, I want to go to this one, and open up your page and go and have a look at that and uh, hopefully follow you on some social media sites. So drop them. And if you are watching the video or you are listening to the podcast, if you go back to the bit with the writing – then you will get all those links because I'm going to put them in there for you. So at least you know they're there. Brilliant. Okay, excellent. Right. Well, I think we covered quite a lot there. So thanks for coming on. And what I would suggest is as you start moving this project, well, you're, you're so far along as it is anyway, really. But as you get yeah. a bit more traction, then come back on the podcast here and let us know about it. And then uh, we'll, I mean, you've been featured in all kinds of magazines as well, haven't you? So come back in here. We'll carry on doing this and uh, update people as they go through. We'll do that. Really appreciate it. Living the dream. Well, thanks so much, and I much I really appreciate it. I will make sure we drive people to your site, and hopefully we'll yeah. uh, get this typhoon flying before twenty. Do the maths for me. Twenty twenty four, wasn't it? That's the one. That's it. Twenty twenty four is the target. The target for this fundraiser is one week on Saturday. So that takes us to the twenty seventh of April. Right is it. when this specific fundraiser it, it sort of closes. But uh, you know, the wider fundraising effort will, will carry on until she's flying probably and, and after because you'll still need money then yeah that's it because you've got to you've got to put fuel into that engine and that's not gonna last very long is it but uh, 140 gallons an hour at takeoff power so, ah, yeah, seriously? That's, quite a bit. that's incredible well i really appreciate you coming on anyway we'll have a brief chat after this but i'll just sign us out so uh thanks so much sam i really appreciate it okay tim davies fussy performance